Welcome to The Discourse, a project by members of the Wayne State University Civil Discourse Fellowship. In this, our third episode and second recording, Bilal, Eric, Isaac, Rima, and Zahia discuss a topic suggested by Eric, the separation of church and state. Last time, we talked about the personal intersections of religion and politics in a conversation you can read on our medium. Going forward, all episodes of The Discourse will be released in video and podcast format. Subscribe on iTunes or in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube, and please join the conversation at thediscourse2020.medium.com. Good evening, y'all. Uh, this is The Discourse once again on a uh, frisky Monday night. Um, I wanted to bring to the table the topic of separation mm -hmm. of church and state. Um, I personally would like to see a government or a state political entity, what so have you, I would like to see a state that doesn't necessarily advocate for or actively propose or support any one religion or belief system over another, but also treats all belief systems under the law equally and doesn't give doesn't give one prime of pride of place in any public spaces, so to speak. Um, and I, I want to I want to Jira. Oh, and also the you know, in the legal system is like secular even though that that term also comes loaded but you know um it is what it is i wanted to get your thoughts on that so um my point of reference is as an american orthodox jew um so i just want to throw that out there before i get started um i am very grateful that i live in a secular government i under no circumstances would want to live under a halachic government um and being said though, I feel that because this is inherently Christian founded country with a predominantly Christian population, you will inevitably have these sways to accommodate the masses of, um, you know, universities always say we don't accommodate any holiday and yet spring break, um, winter break always line up with Easter and Christmas and things like that. And so, while I don't necessarily detest that or wish to have um, Jewish holidays equally observed, because I mean, I, I feel like at that point, nobody would get any work done. Um, I do wish that there were more allowances um, for people of religious conviction and more understanding that for some people, being observant doesn't mean just going to a dinner. It's, it's taking the whole day off and not in abstaining from modernity basically. And, um, and so I feel that it's necessary to have some uh, religious terms and language in our legislature to protect the rights of those who would like to exercise their religious freedoms. And I believe that even within the private sector, we'll never live in a completely secular society because again, the majority of people who live here are Christian and that's the way that that is. And um, I think it does influence um, us a lot, even if you wanna just talk about American morality. And um, so I, I definitely believe that Orthodox Jews, while most of us have no desire to implement halacha, Jewish law into American law and see that, that be integrated, we would like more freedom to practice our religion as we see fit. Because I know that I have trouble with my job saying, I'm not going to work Friday night to Saturday night ever. And um, it's, it's been a real problem. I couldn't get the position I wanted. I've, I've lost jobs over it. And um, until Ilhan Omar's hook uh, a seat in uh, Congress, there was no headgear allowed in Congress. No kippot, no hijabs, no tichels, nothing. And so I feel like that's an inherently religious thing that was not allowed because of secularism. And thus I feel that we need to find a more balanced harmony between separation of church and state where people have the ultimate freedom to uh, practice however they need to or want to, but our morals and our societal norms are, are not forcing other people to adopt our morals and our societal norms. So I feel that there's work to be done on both sides to, to draw that separation when it comes to policy 
but also make sure that legislation reflects the diverse and rich religious background of the American people and continues to protect our rights. So similarly to both Eric and Zakia, I do believe we need to find a way to balance um, both everyone's religious rights and have at the same time an equal treat every every religion equally under the law. Like for, look, for example, what's happening in France. France is technically a secular society. However, like here, um, very, very Christian. And because of that, they're enforcing laws that ban um, headdress, specifically targeting the Muslim community. Um, so I believe we need to find a balance of both respecting everyone's beliefs and observing and their religions and the holidays they observe and um, while also maintaining an equal and just society for all. So there's an old saying, um, not sure, not sure who, who came up with this quote, but democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. And I feel along those lines that the United States and the First Amendment to the Constitution and the way it's been interpreted is the best balance, between, sorry, the worst possible balance between church and state, except for all the others. And there are some examples in the world of explicitly religious governments where the law is based on the religion, notably the Islamic Republic of Iran, where there's something analogous to a, it's not a Supreme Court really, but it's like, it's a, it's a body of religious scholars that review all laws. And if it doesn't, if, if it doesn't explicitly support the, the, the religion, then it's like unconstitutional according to that system. There's also um, something called the millet system, which is currently used in Israel. It's a holdover from the Ottoman Empire, where there's a secular government which farms out certain parts of the affairs of the state to religious bodies. And it, it might even be multiple different religious bodies. Like as in Israel, there's a Jewish rabbinute state-supported state rabbinical organization that runs all the Jewish marriages and kosher supervision and whatnot. But there's also a state-sponsored Islamic organization that does the analogous thing for the Muslim citizens and a, a Christian one. And there's a, a, few, a, a couple others. But all, all, all of these different ways that religion can be... Oh, another one, very important. The secular model, um, as is practiced in every communist government and in France, where the state is secular and secularism is the religion. And so any, re any religious belief that is other than atheism, basically, and anything that you need to do to, for religious practice, you, you get n no accommodation at all because the religion of the state is secularism. I think that's also a bad model. What we have here, where there is a, a prohibition against the state um, establishing a preferred religion and a, and a guarantee that nobody can be discriminated against for practicing a religion. I think that's the, the best balance of both worlds where even if, even if there's a societal bent, as he mentioned, toward the, toward the, the Christian way of doing things, and it's hard for people in the majority to even see the, how it makes it difficult for other people. Nonetheless, it's not in the government, and the laws of the United States, the Constitution of the United States, does protect minority rights. So... That's what I think. So I believe that um, the Sharia as a form of 
government would be not something Muslims would want to live under. And I do not believe that we should have state and uh, you know, a religious system of any preference or even a joint system. For example, some people might say that, well, you know, Lebanon has uh, different religious requirements for government. No, I'm, I'm not, a, I, I don't support that. I think that we should have a separation of church and state, but at the same time, that does not mean to say that I believe um, our values, which very, very, very deeply may be coming from our uh, cultural, but very frequently religious backgrounds that we espouse deeply cannot be reasons for why we vote. Um, our influences, why we uh, requ request accommodations. Can we get accommodations from through, you know, uh, legally through the government for our religious values? I definitely think that there's room for this. There definitely should be. And, um, and, and is, in no way should I, do I believe that the state should hold the religion of atheism as like the as the definition of being separated of, from church and state. So um, my perspective is also from a non-religious person. So that's where I come at it from. Um, and as the audience may see, I've been looking down a lot at my phone. I'm taking notes so I can respond to the others in detail. Um, Zakia, uh, terminology in legislature is definitely really important. And you brought up the, you, I had never really considered this before, but you brought up, or actually, no, I had thought about it, but never really that hard about how it affects real people. Um, you know, the Saturday day of rest where you don't do any work, people who were observant of that in Judaism, they're not, you know, society, American society isn't really accommodating of that because that's not, that's not the mainstream. So you can't, you can't go home on Saturday, 12 a.m. and not do any work until Sunday, 12 a.m. That's just not a thing that American companies will really be accommodating for. And I feel like the, my goal would be to build a public space where somebody can do that and still have a job and like still operate in life. Um, because that's, that, that's, that's reasonable, you know, like that's, that's basically, that is the, the Jewish equivalent of the Christian day of rest, which is supposedly Sunday, even though a lot of, well, I wouldn't say equivalent. I, I see you guys. I wouldn't say equivalent, but rough, rough squiggly mark like um <laughs> it's it's how christians would understand it as like that's our thing but on a different day for a different religion that's that's how they would take that um and you know ironically there are a lot of businesses that are you know overtly christian that are open and do business on sundays which is kind of iffy you know if you're really interpreting christianity uh, depending on which way you want to so i definitely get that um, let's see. And I just thought of this for using an example for, I guess, two different ways that I say you could be secular about, um, participating in government while exercising your religion. You brought up the example of Ilhan Omar while wearing a hijab. Um, I've also, I forget if it was Omar or Rashida Tlaib, but somebody, somebody came at them for swearing, for not wanting to swear on the Bible and swearing on the Quran. And I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, so there are either two ways you can go about this justifiably, in my opinion. Either you don't allow any religious text for swearing in a public official, or you allow whatever religious text the person wants to use for swearing in a public official. It doesn't make sense to hold, uh, like, you know, we're all gonna swear in on the Bible, because if somebody's not Christian, that oath means nothing. They're not Christian. Why would you want somebody swearing on a Bible that they don't believe in? They're, that's to them. They're just like this isn't a real oath. And like it's just like why would you want them to perform a job that is important to society and have them swearing on a text that they have they hold no value in? That's that's ignorant and and uh, prejudice to me. Um, so it's either like either you allow all of them or you allow none of them. That's that's the two ways you can go about that. Um, Rima. France is a, ooh, France is a really uh, interesting case with the theoretical secularism and in praxis, basically still a Catholic country. Um, how they they do not they do they they frown upon sometimes, um, what's the word? obviously sometimes not so obviously, but they always frown upon um, Jewish and Muslim signals that you know 
they are Jews and Muslims in France. Um, and it's funny because French history is so, is so steeped in this idea of being secular. And France was so aggressively secular at, at one point that they were like, let's change the calendar that has church on it. Let's confiscate all church property. Let's wreck the Catholic clergy. It's just like, they're doing all these things. And yet now they frown upon somebody for wearing a hijab. Like that's, that's like going telling a nun, like, hey bro, that's not right. You can't do that. This is a secular country. Like it's the same thing. Like, why are you, why, why are you not treating one like the other? Like it's foolishness. Um, Isaac, your point about state secularism and state atheism, I get where you're going there. There are definitely some states that take it too far, but I think there is a, a difference between say state secularism and state atheism. State, state secularism, state secularism to me is kind of like saying state agnosticism. The state does not take a position on what gods exist or don't exist and how much power they have. Like it's not necessarily saying that God does not exist and you must believe that to be a citizen, but it's also not saying God does exist and you must believe that to be a citizen. It's just like, believe what you want, it's not in the constitution, don't care. Um, state atheism is like, you know, as you said, uh, if you practice, you are an enemy of the state. That's not what I want. I want, I want everybody to be able to do what they want. And I don't want the state to take a position on it because then as soon as you say, you know, you mentioned Allah here, you mentioned God here, you mentioned the Buddha here, you're, even if you don't explicitly want to do that, it lends to Zakia's point of saying, you know, this country is Christian in practice, even if it's not trying to be in theory. So if you do anything that aligns with Christianity, that's gonna come across as favoring Christianity over other religions is what you wanna avoid. So I just wanna be like, don't take any position on any of it. Take off in God we trust on our money. You know, don't, don't do any of this stuff. It's just not necessary. Like why, why is that there? Um, Bilal, room for religious, religious accommodation. That kind of goes back to Zakia's point. I feel like, you know, within reason, society should accommodate people who are just trying to be observant of their religion. Like for instance, um, I read a story a couple months ago about some Muslim football players who were having a really rough time during Ramadan because they had to go to practice and they couldn't drink or eat for the longest time. And they were like dying out there. Um, but you know, their team had like, you know, was like rallied around them, you know, provided them with some stuff. Like it was cool, but I want the school to do that. Like, why is the team, why, why are the individual players in the team having to show empathy toward their fellow players and do that when they could just be like, go to the school administrator um, and be like, hey, um, I'm practicing Ramadan. You know, I, I need this, this, and this in order to practice safely. Can you get that for me? And the school would be like, yeah, I got the resources. Let me call up my government, dude. Like, I want that to be a thing. So yeah, I'll pass that off back to Sakia. So we left off talking uh, with Eric about secularism versus atheism and that we believe that there ought to be a distinction, uh, or at least Eric believes, um, between the two. Um, and he was talking about the government not having any opinion on religion at all whatsoever. And I, I honestly believe that like not taking a stance in a way is sort of taking a stance. Um, back when America was founded, Jews actually found a, a good place in America because everything was in God we trust, not in Jesus we trust. And, and America seemed very optimistic for that. So it's interesting now to look with a modern lens and see it as discriminatory when in fact in you know decades past um, it was actually a sort of progressive thing in itself especially for a majority Christian country. So I think that that's really um, interesting and I don't really know if I think that it's a positive or a negative uh, to keep in God we trust on our money or things like that but I do think it's interesting and um, the way our government does currently function is that when you're being sworn into uh, public office, you are allowed to choose your text. And I believe that atheists uh, swear on the constitution itself. So again, in the sort of all or nothing stance, um, whether you take you know opinion or no opinion, we have decided to sort of take all, which I feel like um, further enhances our um, 
at least cultural perspective on diversity that that other people exist that it's not just um don't ask don't tell situation and i feel that with modernity and sort of our evolving eye on what is and is not acceptable um changes a lot quicker than i believe traditional religious values change and i think like an example that would be especially damaging to Jewish communities. I actually have two examples, one very damaging to Jewish and another damaging to Jewish and Muslim communities, is that modern ethics seems to be saying that we ought to all be plant-based and that we need to cut our consumption, we need to reduce our meat intake, we need to reconsider factory farming and, and how we treat these animals. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, um, but you had this sort of religion of atheism and secularism that sort of takes over that sort of aspect and says, well, fine, we're going to be nicer to the animals and we're going to ban shliach. We're going to ban ritual slaughter. We're going to make it impossible for there to be halal and um, kosher meats. And I feel that when you have this sort of ever-changing um, human experience of, of identifying what's important to us and what's not important and what our generation will um you know come overcome and 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 better the world for it's very important to make sure that these don't have anti-religious pretexts for the sake of the religion of atheism another is brit milah there are lots of people who don't want um circumcision to be legal um again as sort of this self-empowerment um, morality movement that everybody has full autonomy of their own body and almost sort of um, sidestepping the previous um, known fact that parents have the right to make what they believe are correct choices for their children. And all of our parents have made choices for us that we love and agree with and are so glad that they did for us and some that we kind of wish that they wouldn't have. And I think that that's, again, sort of part of the human experience, but this is no longer becoming a point of assumption. Um, at what age do we see bodily autonomy? And I feel like this, this also sort of plays into the abortion argument. If you have bodily autonomy from conception, are you murdering something? If you believe that women have bodily autonomy as long as something is codependent on them, then you at least have a pro-choice argument through the age of viability at, I think, 26 weeks. And so all of these things sort of intertwine in sort of this inconsistent because you, you have the same people who'd like to ban Brit Milah as the people who are very pro-choice and, and like to think about bodily autonomy and, and when that extends to and things like that and I feel like with all of these modern values and things like that you sort of have a manipulation um, for other people's sort of um, personal motives or, or group motives. And I think that we need to be very critical of that. And I feel like by saying we're not going to address Shabbat, we're not going to address Sabbath rules, we're not going to address religion, we're not going to touch it, you leave it open for the people in power who have the power to be dismissive and discriminatory towards minorities. I mean, Ilhan Omar was the first person in Congress who wanted to wear a hijab or a kippah or a tichel or a whatever, whatever, kufi, anything, okay? I mean, it's 2020. That's a, that's a long time coming for a minority. It's, well, it's 2021, but anyway, thank you. <laughs> that's a long time coming for a minority to be in a place of power where they say, no, this is what I stand for. And I'm not gonna, you know, grovel to you. And I'm not going to take off what makes me me and what makes me religious. and. And I think by, by and large, up until now, lawmakers have been white Protestant males. And so I feel like if you sort of remove that and say, okay, we as a government are not gonna take a stance on it, it leaves the most vulnerable more open to oppression. And even now where I'm supposedly federally protected and I could pursue litigation, at my job, I cannot take even a part-time position because nurses and nurse assistants work weekends and nights. And 
I don't want to take Shabbat off because it's a weekend and that's culturally when other people have off or blah, blah, blah. It's important to me, but it doesn't make a difference. If you make an exception for me, you got to make an exception for everybody. I remember my mother being upset at work because the Muslims had to go wash and pray multiple times a day. And she's like, well, why is that fair? I get one lunch break. Why did they get five? And um, I feel like when these things are not federally protected and it's not part of our culture to, to have a stance and say, we accept this, we're gonna support this, we're gonna protect our minorities. It's really difficult to, for minorities to get far enough to make real change on their own. Um, and uh, I, I guess I, I feel like that's about all I have to say about that. Um, and I, I just, I feel like not taking a stance is a stance and I, I feel like I said even in my job people have definitely told me that I do not deserve to be employed if I don't want to show up when my job tells me to show up like to my face and so I I feel that even with the protections that we do have being more secular might not be the answer but striking a better balance might be so, so Eric, I see you raised the blue zoom hand but I, I have been wanting to, to say something I'm, I promise to be brief do you mind Okay, so I, I, I feel like the last thing that Zahid was just mentioning about uh, movements to ban infant circumcision and kosher and halal slaughter are really good examples of the, of the danger of even secularism as a state religion. Call it, call, so call you know, the communist thing, call that state atheism, but call the mainstream Western European thing state secularism even though it hasn't actually cleared the bar yet and become law, there are a whole bunch of secular European countries that have come very close to banning infant circumcision. In the United States, I hope and pray that can't happen because of the First Amendment to the Constitution, because our separation of church and state is different and better than that one. I also wanted to say just real quickly, uh, Eric, you were mentioning earlier uh, the Jewish Sabbath Shabbat being analogous to Christian Sunday day of rest. I, there's there's, a, there's just some key differences there, which are that like, there are very specific thing, things, actions that are specifically prohibited for Jews during the 25 hour period from uh, sunset Friday till darkness Saturday. Like we don't tie knots. We don't water the garden, all, all these categories of things. And I don't think there's anything comparable to that in Christianity. It's just a, a general sort of atmospheric thing that Sunday is supposed to be restful. But there's- I would, I would say that it depends on the Christian. I think in mainstream like Protestantism and Catholicism, you don't see that. But I like, um, the, the Messianics do that, but also Seventh-day Adventists are another Christian group that tend to be Sabbath observant. So I wouldn't go ahead and write it off completely and say that it's not present at all whatsoever in Christian culture. I would just say that the majority of Christians, especially in America, are not Sabbath observant Christians. And to be fair, there's a large majority of Jews in America who don't particularly observe Shabbat either. But okay, so yeah, those, those were the two things I wanted to say, Sunday versus Shabbat and infant circumcision and kosher and halal slaughter being jeopardized under state secularism. And so the preference for our first amendment where religious practice is actually protected. That's all. That's fair. Um... About the, the Shabbat versus Sunday thing, that does make sense. I do understand that there are specific things that Shabbat requires that the Christian day of rest doesn't really, according to most Christians. I guess like my point was that, you know, the, the general atmosphere of this is a period in the week where you're supposed to not do work and however you understand work, um, that that part is generally similar. It's, it's similar enough to understand, if not, you know, study. Um, to Zakia's point, I think I want to clarify because I was thinking, I shouldn't say clarify, I want to, what's the word? 
yes and because usually when I give my thoughts and somebody responds to my thoughts, I'm refining my thoughts to incorporate somebody else's ideas as they talk because I'm like, that's how that could be better. I could have said that better. That could be better. That could be more fleshed out. Ah, yes, I can add this. So basically- And that's why we're all here. <laughs> this is true. Um, when you say not take a stance is dangerous, I see where you're coming from with that. Not saying anything about religion or religious practicing groups at all can be a slippery slope. My, I think what I want specifically is the state not advocating for, for any religious practice over another one and not saying that, you know, especially uh, key theological points like, you know, God is real, Prophet Muhammad is the last prophet, um, Buddhism you know, or not, like the Buddha is like enlightened. Like, I don't want to see that anywhere in any state constitution. But you can say, you know, Muslims are protected legally. Um, Muslim women can wear the hijab wherever they want. Um, you know, Muslim men can pray, you know, every, Muslims can pray, you know, and at the job, they are legally protected to do so. If the job tries to take away that, they can go to the authorities and be like, yeah, you can't do that. You know, that's, that's you know, that's protected. Um, your Shabbat thing, that's protected. Like those, like the things that religious groups do to practice their religion, those can be negotiated and written into law and like, you know, observed and stuff. I just don't want the state to take any position on theological understandings of how the world works, um, if that makes more sense. Now, onto what you were saying about uh, circumcision, uh, halal slaughter, you know, uh, stuff like that. That's an interesting dilemma. Um, oh yeah, and what you said earlier about modern values versus religious values, I think it is a challenge for people who consider themselves religiously observant, especially to the, especially conservative versions of whatever religion is being considered. Um, it's a challenge for them to interact with the modern world. Uh, however you take modernity to be, which can mean different things to different people. And I, I wanna caution, I, I don't want, say for instance, I don't want people in the name of modernity to look at a religious value and completely discard it because it is religious. And vice versa, I don't want a religious person to look at a modern value or say a secular value and discard it on the principle of it being secular or, or modern. Like, you know, there are plenty of things that the Buddha said, that Confucius said, that Lao Tzu said, that Muhammad said, that Moses said, that Jesus said, I agree with. There are plenty of things that they said, I'm like, yep, that's me. I don't agree with everything you said and I don't worship or follow you, but I agree with about half of what you you quoted in your life. So I'm not gonna just look at that value and be like, yeah, I would agree with that if somebody who wasn't religious said it, but because you said it, nah, that's that's garbage. I don't wanna do that. And I don't want, I don't want it to work the other way either. So it's like, we can take each case. I, I, I want to go on like a case by case basis. And this is obviously my ideal world because <laughs> governments nowadays is really just don't care that much. But um, like, for instance, like what you said with uh, we should all be eating plants now. Um, depending on what kind of like, for instance, if the earth hypothetically, if the earth was going to die tomorrow, if we didn't all start eating plants, I would personally be like, okay, I think that Trump's observing Judaism or Islam or for just pro prolonging our survival, if you're gonna practice the religion. Now, you may disagree with that, but me, I'm like humanity's survival comes first and foremost. Now, if there's something that just like, you know, you know, we should transition to eating plants more because slaughtering animals is like kind of morally wrong. You know, if we're getting into morals as opposed to practical application of, you know, humans being surviving, that is kind of what religion is about itself, like morals and moral values. So you're getting into the weeds there. And I hesitate to try to like make the state do something about that, even if I personally have the opposite conviction. So I personally don't want people to be circumcised at birth because I don't believe that the parents should have the right to do that. But I don't believe that the state has the right to tell parents that they shouldn't do that. So that's where I stand on that. Um, when it comes to say, you know, 
halal slaughter or kosher slaughter. That's not like that's as far as I know, there are no factory or I'm sorry, not I'm sure there are factory halal and kosher slaughter, but like not like not like the big, huge industrial size, just like completely wasteful people like I don't know, the 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 pork plants in uh, Chesterfield or whatever it's called. So it's like as as long as it doesn't impede um, human welfare to a reasonable extent, I don't care. And I don't think I have any business in it. Um, it's when it starts to cross the line of, okay, this could be dangerous for the population as a whole, um, or at the very least, if we don't stop this now, here's where we're gonna go. And by then it will be too late. If, when it goes into that kind of territory and we can evaluate that on a case-by-case -case basis, then I'm like, okay, I feel like um, secular, the secular value of trying to get humans to be, you know, healthier, uh, exist in, in good states trumps religious observance, but in only those specific circumstances. So I would like to make a little addendum to my statement. Um, there's no religious mitzvah to, to eat meat. I mean, at least not in a mainstream kind of way. Um, the problem is, is that you have like these people who are like, well, we care about animal welfare. We don't want factory farming. We don't want blah, blah, whatever. And they have their own motives and, and that's all fine and good. But the problem comes in where you, where animal welfare activists want us to stun the animals before killing them, which is not kosher or halal. And that's, that's the problem. So it's not like the earth is gonna die or anything like that. It's, it's specifically, if you're going to eat meat, how do we go about it? And if you actually look at the research, I mean, I'm not a cow, I don't know, um, but the research suggests that a highly trained uh, kosher butcher or halal butcher, swift, very sharp, clean knife, you have to inspect the knife, you gotta make sure the cow doesn't suffer, is much more reliable and less painful than a stun gun. So when you look at this and you look at this really strong pushback to say halal and kosher slaughter is not ethical because it is so mean to the animal, it, it can't be. It's humans are doing it, you should stun them before you kill them, it's not right. But then you look at the evidence and you say, well, as a matter of fact, rather than stunning the thing, which doesn't work half the time and might inflict more pain before killing them, if we just kill them in 0.2 seconds, that's probably less painful as far as we can tell. And so I feel like it's very easy to sort of get on board with these social movements and say, yes, this is important. And we, we gotta care about animals and welfare. And that sounds so good, but one, it's not a better method. And two, it's a giant impediment to the uh, Jewish and Muslim way of life. And, and you know, and I, it's unfair and unethical and, and poorly based. And I feel like you get this sort of social warrior warriorism to sort of mask your bigotry. And I'm not okay with that. And I feel like that's where a lot of things go. And, and even when it comes to circumcision, I mean, parents choose to pierce their little girl's ears. The infection and death rate for piercing a kid's ears is actually higher than that of circumcision. Only seven people died all of like, I think 2019 that could, that could have even been possibly attributed to circumcision. I mean, there's sudden infant death syndrome. There's um, shaken baby syndrome. There's so human babies are fragile things which account for way 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 more way more deaths per year and yet we have this fixation on people making choices for their children and honestly you have to look at a human being as a human being our social ability um to to progress to grow it matters i would never subject my son to the social stigma around not being circumcised. He would not be fully Jews, Jewish. He would not be accepted in the covenant. All the work that I've done to make sure that I am properly Jewish would be undone if I didn't do this for my child. And I would never subject them to that because my child is a whole person who has an emotional well-being that I have to look after too, as well as their physical well-being. And not to mention there is evidence that there might be decreased risk of certain STDs, 
and less risk of infection. So a very, 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 very low complication risk, like 0.001%, very, very, very low mortality rate. And you have the benefit of possibly preventing bad infections and STDs, and you're caring for your child's emotional and social welfare. To me, it's a no-brainer. And I feel like when I'm a parent, I deserve the right to make that child. And my child deserves to not have to go through social ostracization because somebody decided that they thought they knew what was best for me and my children. And I guess on the third point, you were talking about um, rejecting modernity. And I think a really good example of the interplay between at least Orthodox Jews and modernity is sort of apparent in, in Israel of all places. Um, the cell phone technology was sort of developed through IBM in Israel. Orthodox Jews, like Haredi, no cell phones, none whatsoever. And so yet you have Jews making these really great advances in technology and improving society and making the world a little bit more modern and a little more secular, but you also have these Jews, the same Jews, who completely reject it and say, I'm not going to own a phone. I'm not going to own a flip phone. I'm not going to own a smartphone. I'm not doing it. And I feel like, um, I feel like everybody kind of has their own right to kind of manage that intersection. And, and yeah, there are challenges with modernity, but I feel like bringing this back to separation of religion and state or church and state, um, I think most minorities just want to survive. We don't care if you have a phone. It's just not for us. So why make us have it? Um, if you don't want to circumcise your kid, I don't care. Don't make my decision for me. If you want to have an abortion, that's cool. Not for me. If you want to do whatever you want, you want to eat your meat because you stunned it first. Perfect. I'm a Jewish vegetarian. We exist. It's fine. It's great. No problem. I just, I don't want, um, that way of life to be taken from us for no good reason, especially since there's no good reason. Uh, Rima, you got your hand up. Um, I just wanted to make an addition towards your comments of like the whole social justice warrior thing and like just how animals slaughter. We see within more, more likely, at least in my opinion, I think we should move towards similar to what indigenous people do. They use the whole animal. That way we're less wasteful and um, we use up every part because why just slaughter something for just one specific thing? Why not use the whole thing to and it circumvents both like the need to, everyone can have basically what they need, less of a impact um, on, on the environment and yeah, you can still benefit. Like people who want to still eat meat, they can do that. But again, we have to get rid of like the industrial farming, because again, that's a big part of it. Just wanted, just, wanted, just wanted to add that. Yeah, no, I'm not pro-industrial farming, obviously, but I... I don't think anyone is at this point. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm vegetarian, don't plan to ever eat meat, and to be honest, I, I do think that everybody should reduce for environmental reasons, but all the same. Don't come for kosher slaughter. I just had a, a few things I'd like to share. So one of them was bouncing off the idea of France being very anti-religion as opposed to just, just secular. Um, and, you know, it was mentioned that this had a lot to do with the foundations of them being Christian and wanting to, in a way, subvert the Muslim population. Um, and I just wanted to mention that this isn't necessarily a, an intrinsically Christian thing because similar things happened in Italy. Um, and some people, even, you know, even uh, administration, I think, um, uh, I don't know his first name, but there was, there's a minister named Maroni um, and he said something along the lines of, um, if, if the mother Mary ha is wearing a veil, you know, in all, all of our churches, how, how can you ask me to, uh, ban the hijab? 
and he didn't. You know, he didn't support the legislator. So I, I don't think it's necessarily inherently a Christian thing per se, but it can be weaponized, like your Christianity or your faith, a person's faith can be weaponized. And it can be both lack of faith can be weaponized. For example, I, I mean, if you think about it pretty, just pretty simply, like, like bull stunning isn't, isn't really where, it, it's not really, you shouldn't be the focus of someone for animal welfare. I'm not saying that you can't focus on small things. You absolutely can, right? But it just doesn't seem like, uh, who is this helping, really? It doesn't seem to be helping animals very much at all that are being raised in horrible conditions. Uh, and, and as a result, like, okay, if it's very much not beneficial, and it, and it is actually giving difficulty to people who are genuinely just trying to kill the animal in an ethical way, it doesn't seem to be worthy of legislation um, as far as I can, I'm concerned. But um, I didn't want to make a light comment, but it's a, I think it's a critical one. And it's in criticism of what Zacchaeus said. Much of what you said was very clear and straightforward, and I understood it uh, to be, you know, very helpful. Uh, but I think the example of the earring was a what could have, you really could have picked a much better example because I, you know, you sit in your chair for you know a month and your earring hope might heal up, right? Whereas, you know, snip snip, that's not come back. <laughs> but I get, but the analogy, I, I totally understand. We have a word in, in Arabic called uh, hasan when, when a hadith might not be historically accurate, but the meaning of behind it was useful and the point was conveyed well. Um, Yes, I understand that from it. So we should, but I'm just saying, you know, a bit of distinction. Um, and my, my only point with oh, that was that talking about complication rate and like infection rate, it's mm. higher for piercing. That that was like my only comment. So if you're like concerned about child welfare and whether this would not, if you, I mean, if you're boiling it down to aesthetic choice, like yeah, your earring could close up or whatever. I mean, fine. Um, but if you're viewing it purely as a, you're hurting your child sort of thing, I don't think you're hurting your child any more by doing that than by piercing your ears, which is something that's socially acceptable. That, that was my only point there. Mm -hmm. like, like you mentioned that, um, you know, the research behind it doesn't show it to be superior to leave it. Uh, there's some research that shows that it's, it's better. Uh, some people, you know, put counter uh, research saying that like, well, with uh, certain techniques, you can maintain the same kind of quality uh, uh, as a circumcision without circumcising. Um, but regardless, that would still be mildly in favor of circumcision, it, even with that. Um, ultimately, it would be a choice of the parent. I, I, I also agree with that, that there should be no reason to have regulation on, on a parent's choice. Um, Eric made a point that I wanted to bounce off of, which was, so we are in a country it was it was it was a, a example that I wanted to bounce the idea off of. We are in a country, and the majority of the the country is has a huge separation between church and state, but they have a huge Jewish lobby, a huge Muslim lobby, and a huge Christian lobby, and as a result, the you know, and let's say proportional or not proportional doesn't matter. Let's just say that they have a large lobby. Let's say there's like a, you know a tiny amount of Christians, tiny amount of Muslims, and it's in a mostly Jewish country, or or flip that. Let's say it's a mostly Christian or mostly Muslim, right? the majority of people are now voting for a ruling that is in favor of a specific like it is favors a specific truth a specific religious truth meaning that for example if someone were to objectively tell me it is better um to slaughter with like let's say you know like like like, like you know to just say it's better to slaughter with a, a blade and make a swift cut than it is to rely on a factory farm for a proper killing. And they're saying, they're saying, they're saying like it's an objective truth. The thing is, it's not actually an objective truth. It's, it's more about like, no, there's conflicting viewpoints. There's pros and cons to both. Um, it's not an objective truth from a secular perspective for someone to say that, right? But if now watch this, the Jewish lobby favors though, the, the, uh, the blade slaughter. So does the Muslim lobby. So does the Christian lobby. So does 13 uh, sects of, of, from within them. And they make up 85% of the country. 
what should the secular government do? Democratically speaking, or you know, or democratic, democratic republic-wise, we are favoring now a religious truth. Objectively, we cannot determine whether it's true or not. We we don't know what's the best choice objectively, right? But from a religious perspective, religion gives us objective truths, subjectively. <laughs> so, I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I'm just saying, hence the need for a First Amendment, a constitution that protects minority practices, even if the minority is the atheists. And I would also kind of like to really quickly interject um, that, again, we're going back to church and state, whether or not Jews want people to practice the way they do, or if we only want a religious freedom. Okay, that's my um, context here. We rely on the Goyish meat markets because the like like the people who shochet people who who make the cut are Torah scholars. There are lots of things we're not allowed to eat within a, a kosher animal, um, and there are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of reasons that an animal will be discarded because it's not good enough. But it still passes FDA inspection, so we rely on that to not waste the animal to go to the secular markets and be served to other people because it's still FDA fine, it's just not okay for us. And so I feel like, you know, going back to like the idea of like, do we want people to practice like us or do we wanna be able to practice the way we wanna practice? We rely on that interaction. It, it helps us not be wasteful and damaging to our environment. And, and we absolutely do that. And so um, I feel like, yeah, even if you do have this secular government with a large religious population who votes for one thing, there's always nuances to that. And uh, yeah, that, that's my only input. Um, for Bilal, can you, can you clarify a little bit what you meant about the the like majority religious people vote like what if if they could vote for such a referendum would vote for religious slaughtering of animals to be a thing i didn't i i wasn't really understanding that i think so a vote goes out um or sorry i should say a survey goes out and then representatives will end up deciding um who are elected by the people so a vote goes out or survey and it says would you be willing would you want it that Everyone, all people across the U.S. are allowed, they are permitted, they're not required to, they are permitted to do blade slaughter without using a bolt slug. And 85% of the population says, heck yeah. And then they also put a second question where they said, and would you like to make it a requirement in the country? And I'm not going to, you know, the whole, the whole purpose of this is to have controversial topic, so I'm not going to like pick the easy option. And then 70% the of the people still say again, yeah, it should be required. And they are basing this at, on the fact that factory farming is objectively evil in every form. And this is not an objective truth. This is a religious objective truth, which is, in, like I said, subjective to the religious population. And so now we have an 85% are saying everyone's allowed, and we have 70% saying in fact, everyone sh needs to practice this. Anything outside of this is unethical. And they're a majority. Well, okay, now that I understand that a little better, I think that that would work in my head, that would work the same way as if it was flipped. If if most people were not religious and they were like, should people be allowed to use you know, religious slaughter? Yes. Should people be required to not use religious slaughter because, um, or shit. Anyway, what, okay, you know, let me use your example because my example wasn't making sense. If, you know, you, 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 to me, you want to balance democracy and uh, secularism, which I'm still holding as, you know, not overtly favoring one way of practicing over another. Um, if 85% of people say, yeah, we should be allowed to religiously slaughter if we want, you know, to me, I'm like, whether that was 85%, 5%, 1%, or hell, 0%, it, 
I still wouldn't say that you should slaughter animals. You know, you can't slaughter animals in this way if you're religious. Like, no matter what the democracy said, because at that point, if we're trying to obey the whims of the majority simply because they are the majority with no other justification, you could justify literally anything. So if, if, if the majority of the, the people wants something, then you know, okay, well, this is worth further inquiry because people want it. So now let's investigate what it would mean to, you know, flush out this issue. If 70% of people were like, you know, I think everybody should be required to do religious slaughter. I'm, I'm not even listening to that because like that's a requirement. And it's just like, you've already overstepped the bounds. Like that would be me, that would be the state favoring religious practice over not religious practice, which is to me goes against the values of secularism. So it, again, also against the values of secularism would be saying you can't practice um, halal and kosher. Um, to your point about the stun gun thing, I, that that is true. I think people who are, I, I, I hesitate to use the word social warrior or social justice warrior because that, that word is often taken like in a, I'm not saying you meant it that way, but like it's often, it's often used in like a, oh, look at these people trying to make life better for others, weirdos. It's just like, you know, you didn't mean it that way, but I hear it meant so much. I, I can't, you get it. But anyway. No, um, I'm hearing it, yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if, if your goal is to, this is my, my emphasis on taking things case by case and that context is so important. If your goal is to make animal slaughter, if, if you feel like, you know, if you're okay with it happening, but your goal is to make it as painless as possible for the animal involved while still protecting the right of Muslims and Jews to practice their culture, um, you know, and you look at, okay, well, if my goal is to, if my, if my primary goal is to make animals feel as less pain as possible, but I also want to, you know, have them be observant, I'm going to be like, okay, now we have the topic of stun guns. Are they more or are they less? Do they make a difference? Because if stun guns make the, hypothetically, if stun guns make the animal feel less pain, I would be like, you should do it that way because the animal is feeling less pain and I, I value that. Um, if the stunt and like, you know, you're not saying like don't slice it, but it's just like if it doesn't go against your religion to use the stun gun and the stun gun makes the animal feel less pain, I'd be like, you should do it. If the animal feels more pain, I'd be like, don't do it. There's no point. If the animal is like, if, if the pain is indifferent, like the stun gun doesn't make a difference one way or the other, I'd be like, that's unnecessary. Then it doesn't do anything. So, say, say it objectively has been shown to, um, make a almost negligible amount of different a, a, a difference that is consistent but it is within the it, it is honestly frankly within the realm of negligence like it'll be like okay it means that the creature technically speaking when it's had it when, even though the slice only takes let's say you know maximum two seconds right um in a way it's still technically suffering even after its head is severed because it's not technically dead just because you, a person who's been, an animal that's been, had its head chopped off isn't actually technically dead. Like it's still, I know, technically considered uh, for the sake of uh, bolt stunning research, it's considered alive until there's zero brain function. So some people would say it would be like, mm -hmm. that's kind of negligible at that point. Like you, the head is chopped off. Like it's not even, anything it's experiencing isn't even a full experience anymore. And it's going to be, um, for what, maybe like, you know, minutes at max of, of a modified version of consciousness. So it's arguable, but that's, that's the, actually the, the argument for it. It's that the brain isn't fully dead, so it's suffering. So if you just smash its brain in with the bolt center immediately, well then technically, like the central nervous system is out. So it's not suffering because you just killed, you know, you kill, you, you basically targeted consciousness first, as opposed to the source of the consciousness, which is, you know, the neck. In, um, in that scenario, like if I could respond real quick and then I'll let, I'll let Isaac talk because he hasn't talked in a while. Um, in that scenario, I wouldn't really call it a, neglig a negligible difference because if the animal is per being prevented from suffering after the slice has been performed, I'd call that a pretty major difference. I mean, if I was getting killed and you were like, you're going to be alive for three seconds after you get your head chopped off, I'd be like, no, sir. 
Um, they were like, would you want to get stunned beforehand? That Then the slice is just going to kill you instantly. Like, I'd be like, hell yeah. Um, no way I'm going to get my head chopped off and still be alive. Like, that's that's fucking torturous. But like... Um, well, who you, draws the line in the sand of when you're dead? Because some people would okay, say... Okay, well, okay. Let's not get into the weeds too much about off. that. Um, no, no, I feel you. But some people just, they draw the line in the sand and say, once the head of the animal is fully chopped off, like that's, I decide it's dead. Like it's, whereas you could biologically say, well... I define it by zero brain function. Well, I I would quantify that particular scenario as we, I am trying to, using the goal of the people who Zakia originally pointed to, I am trying to make the animal feel as little biological pain as possible while these people are practicing their religious um, ritual. So if that is so my goal- So anesthetic? I mean, if anesthetic is something that is practical to be, you know, advised to the animal, if it, like, I'm, I'm just saying all this hypothetical, I'm not, I'm not using any actual yeah, yeah. real data I, to prove it. None of this is personal to Eric or to Bilal or to any, you know, we, we talk ideas, there, there's nothing personal until we actually solidify these ideas and actually want to put them into practice. But, um, but yeah, like, like, like you said, well, then the issue, the same thing about practicality is like, well, then we got to draw a line in the sand. Do we have to bolt stun every time? Because that arguably is, I mean, imagine you're, you know, you just have chickens in your backyard and then bolt stunning is going to cost you an additional $800 to slaughter three of your chickens. And you're like, damn, do I want chicken that bad? Because that's well, a lot. Okay. That's a lot of I, <laughs> I do want to caution against getting too much into the details about every single subject. I think my my general point is to take them case by case and evaluate the 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 merits of each argument on its own and see you know what is practical, what is not, what still falls in the bounds of respecting this 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 group's uh, religious rituals, but also tries to reach your goal as practically as possible. Um, as a counterpoint, you know the Australian philosopher Peter Singer. He asserts that animals are people because they feel they feel pain. So for him, for someone like him, they'd be like, I don't want people to eat meat at all because animals are going to be killed. And I don't like that. They're people. So it's like somebody like that, they'd be like, you know, I wish people didn't eat meat. But depending on what that person feels, they would or would not feel the state should intervene in that. Like, you know, um, but it, it depends on the person. So I get what you're saying, Zakia. And in that particular circumstance, with those facts, it makes no sense for them to want it just for the sake of wanting it. Like you have to evaluate what it actually does, what your goal is, how close to your goal it gets you, and how it infringes upon these people's right to practice. You know, can you accommodate them? Can they accommodate you? Is that possible? That's you know, that, that, that's a case by case thing. Um, and I'll get to Isaac. Uh, Isaac, you can go ahead. We've talked enough. So I just wanted to uh, say that I think we were trying to limit it to an hour. And I, I want oh. to stress that this is awesome conversation. Like this is the best. I could do it for two more hours, <laughs> but but I think our listeners ain't got time for that. That's if fair. We have any That's fair. Whatever. I, I um, have one quick comment, just really quick. Go ahead, okay. and I also, I uh, if Rima wants to say something, I want to get to Rima real quick for some closing remarks because she hasn't talked too much. So. So I would like to say that like for one, the stun guns are contraindicated for both halal and kosher slaughter. So it's it's kind of negligible, but also like, I think that you do get in this conversation of when does life start and when does life end? For some people, life starts at a heartbeat, but you can actually have your organs donated and the plug pulled on you if you're brain dead, but your heart's still beating. So where is that line? In fact, we don't know for humans, let alone animals, and as a vegetarian, like, I'd be cool if nobody ate meat. Wouldn't be a problem for me, but not my place. And I know that, and I respect that. Um, and so I think that, like, I guess the underlying current and issue here is that I feel, I feel very strongly that all of this gets glazed over. It gets glazed over into this, like, pseudo care for the animal and their suffering but you know why don't we care more about animals in life why don't we ban factory farming why don't we mandate that they have to be treated better with antibiotics or this and that the other thing and i feel like when it comes down to for me and both the circumcision i believe these are very related actually topics the circumcision and the kosher slaughter argument is that i believe it really does come from the blood libel that 
Jews are inherently bloodthirsty, ugly people who just want to drink blood and kill people and cause suffering. And that's what we're about. I truly believe that's where it comes from. And when you hear about some of the anti-circumcision arguments from people as early as Martin Luther, it's apparent that that's where some of these anti-circumcision, anti-kosher meat arguments come from. That of course the Jews are these ugly, bloodthirsty people and thus they must want to inflict pain. We have to stop them. We have to stop this practice. It's not okay, we don't like it. And so I feel that you can layer on all of these things, layer on autonomy, human rights, you can layer on infection rates, whether it's objectively or subjectively better for a child, you can layer on whether an animal feels a minute amount of pain, you can layer on this argument about um, when does death start, when does death end, when does life start, when does life end, all of these sort of existential questions that might be relevant or matter to some people, but I believe that at the root of these two particular things, amongst others, we really do have a modern day blood libel argument, or at least a way to get Jews and Muslims out of your community. You, you see these things popping up in France, these ideas, um, almost getting passed into legislature. And it's a very quick way to get Muslims out of your community. You tell them you can't eat meat, believe. Tell them that their kid can't function in a Jewish society, believe. And I feel like at least those two factors, whether people are fully aware that they're um, perpetuating them or not, doesn't matter. So I'll go quick and then Rima, you want the closing word? Um, yeah. Or vice versa. What? Go ahead. So circling back just a bit, Bilal, when, when you were talking about the two hypothetical poll questions, I totally agree. I think you might have been remembering or maybe consciously cribbing from the, the two phenomena that I described at the beginning of our last conversation. I'm just going to reread them right here. I see there being two separate phenomena to discuss. One, policies that religious people want to make it easier for them to practice. And two, your second poll question, policies that religious people want to make other people practice like them. And I said, even two weeks ago, I don't think there's much to discuss with regard to two. We probably all disagree with it, but there's a lot of nuance in one. And that's where we get this good conversation from. Um, just to close off on my end, I think we could talk in circles again with the Haddad and kosher slaughter versus um, sunburn or whatever. The argument can be continued forever and we just talk ourselves in circles. I think the important part is, yes, while animal, animal welfare is very important, that's nothing to be disregarded. I think we should be draw back the focus more on human welfare. And if, for example, um, kosher or halal slaughter is better for like that particular group of people, then yes, we should be focusing more on the beneficial aspect of them. That's just what I'd end with. If you enjoyed this discussion, Please subscribe to The Discourse on YouTube, iTunes, or Medium. Thank you for joining us on The Discourse.